You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Very special podcast today because we welcome back Neil Seawang. Uh, Neil, good to be with you. Good to be back. It feels like a week is a long time in footy, but a month is a very long time in footy. A month is a very, very long time in footy. Uh, you've been watching your mob pretty closely uh, with a, a newborn in your house. Uh, how have you managed to think the D's have gone so far uh, since <laughs> the restart? Yeah, um, up and down like a lot of teams. Hard to predict, but um, obviously any win in a shortened season is important. But I was a bit more impressed with a few of the decision-making and um, I guess almost an instruction to play a little bit slower. Um, against the Suns. So, yeah, a small step forward, um, but a win's a win, and it's been a while coming. No, it's always good to get a win, uh, especially... Oh, you can leave the house because you're up in Ballarat. You can still go on your morning coffee runs and, uh, and get out for lunch and, and <laughs> dine while uh, us uh, stuck in Melbourne can't. That's uh, must the world be nice. is my oyster up here. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> great. I do feel sorry for you. I mean, gosh, yeah, it's tough on you guys. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, we're getting there, but uh, Jake Michaels, good to, to talk to you again. Yes, well, uh, it is. We feel like coronavirus central uh, in here in Melbourne. So back in lockdown, which is, well, it's not exactly fun, is it? What's <laughs> that fun, Christian Jolly? How have you been coping? Uh, have you got uh, a full house at the moment? Uh, yeah, and uh, looking forward to some more homeschooling coming up in the future. So uh, You sound pretty excited for it. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll just enjoy the last week of school holidays while we can. Uh, and while we're here, we must thank uh, Rowan Connolly for his uh, wonderful job stepping in into Neil's shoes uh, over the last few weeks. We've uh, really enjoyed him uh, coming on the podcast with us and he'll continue to uh, provide some great written content for us on the website, espn.com.au forward slash AFL if you want to check that out. Um, but guys, I guess we're a third of the way through the season now. Uh, despite everything 2020 has tried to throw at us, lockdowns, uh, moving to hubs, the whole lot really. Um, and we've got another episode, a big episode, ready to go. But I guess before we kick into the real stuff, just something that might have caught your attention from the week of footy that we might otherwise gloss over, Jake. Well, I think one of the obvious ones, uh, something that, that uh, sent social media into a, a bit of a frenzy, was um, Nick Natanui giving Riley O'Brien an iPhone after the, after the game. <laughs> if you were, aren't familiar with what happened there, you've got to go and check out the, the whole backstory. But basically, um, O'Brien... Uh, shared some of his, uh, let's call it tactics and secrets and a bit of a game plan and for what he was going to do against Nat Nui. And um, turns out he had a busted phone. And anyway, long story short, Nat Nui gave him another phone after it, which just shows a nice, you know, a bit of, hu- bit of sense of humour. And, and it was quite nice to see them come together after after the game. I, I quite enjoyed that. I reckon that was, that was fantastic. And, the sec- and probably the best footy prop I can remember since Harry Taylor took out that slice of ham, ham. and shook hands with Josh Jenkins about four or five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we, need, uh, we need more characters like that in footy and I'm, I'm really glad that Nick Nat sort of stepped up and, um, and sort of played along. Uh, Neil, something that caught your eye from the weekend, please. I was talking that caught my eye and I think caught most of the footy world's eye was Isaac Rankin. I, I can't remember a better, more impactful first game. You know, it's, it's hard to, you know, goals in are a back in the day. modern footy. Yeah, but he wasn't just accumulating. You know, it, you can come in as a first game and, and play on the flank and, and get, you know, 20-odd touches and everyone thinks you've done your job, which you have, but to actually impact games, kick goals, you know, he's playing on a really hard and small defender in Neville Jeddah and, and really let him a merry dance and, and almost got the sums over the line. So if that's what he's got in his back pocket, I can't wait to see him play another 
couple of hundred games and, and terrorised defences all over the place. You just absolutely to watch. It was just, I was almost giggling watching him, especially after yeah. his first goal. I just had to laugh out loud because that is, that's ranked in what he did as a junior career. And to see that translate into AFL level within his first disposal at AFL, we were like, yeah, his career is going to shoot, you know, yeah. uh, progress quite nicely. Uh, while we're on you, Christian, uh, what was something that caught your eye? Uh, probably at the other end of the scale, one of the old guys um, sort of had a bit of a comeback game. David Zaharakis, I've been watching him um, the last few weeks for Essendon. He's been playing more of a forward line role, deep in the forward pocket, off the wing now and out of the midfield and hadn't done much for about three weeks. I think he had 21 disposals in his last three games, finished with 20 touches, three goals, uh, eight score involvements against uh, North Melbourne on Saturday night. And yeah, just thought he sort of, I uh, don't know if you say wound back the clock, but he definitely sort of... Um, yeah, found his spot in the forward line and showed why he's still in the team. Maybe you can teach old dog uh, an old dog new tricks. Uh, we'll touch on the Bombers a bit later, but uh, before we move on, something that caught my eye, I've always been a believer of drafting clever footballers over athletes, um, but this takes sort of clever to the next level. During the, the Giants and Power game on the weekend, uh, Jeremy Cameron came off with the blood rule, um, but for the four or five minutes before that, he was bleeding... Um, he was bleeding it down the other end of the ground uh, and sort of somehow hit it from the umpires. And then the play sort of developed and the Giants took the ball down their, their end. Um, I think they, they stuffed it up and uh, turned over and Port Adelaide got the ball and they were sort of on the march. And then as soon as Port Adelaide got the ball uh, and started their chain of, of counter-attacking, Cameron's gone over to the nearest umpire and said, hey, look, I've got blood coming from, from my nose. Uh, you need to call this off. And the umpires <laughs> called, called the game to a halt. Um, Jeremy's trotted off and, uh, and he's managed to slow the momentum that Port had uh, rebounding out of defence so that's clever football that's for sure that's unreal you reckon that'll, that'll start to be used as a tactic you know any of those like fake blood capsules you can get oh that's just sort news, of bite, just sort of bite down on them when the um, when the when the when the opposition's going inside 50 that'd be a, that'd be a hefty suspension surely <laughs> alright uh, let's get into some serious stuff because uh, we'll, we'll we'll move on um, boys simple question for you all is the bump dead uh, because we've had five different rulings for five different bumps on the weekend, and it sort of seems like you never know what you're going to get. A uh, bit of Forrest Gump sort of style. We had Ben Long, who's gone straight to the tribunal. Dylan Shields been handed two weeks. Um, Marlon Pickett has gotten off. Rowan has gotten off, and um, Brad Ebert's been given a week. All for look, not the same incident, but but somewhat similar incidents, and it's kind of hard to to grasp just why they've been graded so differently. I mean, is it even worth bumping anymore? <sighs> I don't think the bump's dead. I mean, after this weekend, it's very much alive, isn't it? It's still, it's still, you know, people are still bumping on the field. But I slightly disagree with the premise that it's the same action with five different outcomes. Because I think the ones that, that were most violent, if you like, it was Sheil and Long who had the opportunity to go for the ball and they almost ran past the ball to create body contact. And I think that's why they're looking... We're obviously speaking before the tribunal cases have gone ahead, but that's why they're going to be getting more in terms of a sanction. I think we have to, to differentiate the decision to bump, which I think those two guys did, and also the, the difference between that and almost incidental impact of two bodies clashing, which might have been Rowan, who was a bit more clumsy. So I think that's there might be a good reason for the AFL to be cracking down harder on the guys who actually run past the ball and decide to, to create that contact themselves. There's a lot of risk when you're, when you're laying a bump. I mean, you know, you, you make that decision to bump and that's all well and good. 
But we all know that if you get it wrong and you hit someone high, and then you add in the fact that, that um, you know, the result of what that can do, you know, if you knock somebody out, as we know that, you know, you need a harsh penalty. So, you know, you add all that together. There's a lot of risk when you do it. And I, I think that, well, again, as Neil said, the bump's not dead. I mean, we saw it this week. I can't remember the last time we saw so many controversial, mm. if you like, bumps in a, in a round of footy. But I think coaches are getting it to the point where they probably don't like their players bumping because the risk of getting it wrong and, as a result, getting a suspension is much higher than tackling. Um, and at the end of the day... A bump is all well and good, but a tackle is what, as, as far as I'm concerned, when I'm watching a play, bit of play on, um, you know, play out, I, I want to see a tackle. I don't want to see a bump. Like a bump, I'm not in that old school, you know, I'm not that old school football sort of watcher that, that wants to see a big hard bump. It's like tackle him. If you can tackle him, tackle him. Well, Why put a bump on? The difference between something like a, a straight to the tribunal where Long is facing potentially four weeks uh, and something that shielded, which has been given to, and we know that the Bombers in the challenge and um, et cetera, et cetera. But like the difference between some of these incidents um, is, you know, 30 centimetres either way, where, you, where the head hits the body or where the body hits the shoulder or, um, you know, milliseconds well, of it. difference. You know, like it's just not... You don't have margin it. for error. It's just... Well, it's, that's, it's, that's- that's been my view the whole time. So every time someone brings up, you know, is the bump dead? I think it, it's not dead. It's the head, head high bump is dead. If you aim for the shoulder and you get them in the head, you, you're going to get in trouble. But again, watch someone like Cameron Zerhart, who just lines up the body, hits players beautifully, hits them at the right time. It's not when they're picking up to, you know, uh, bending over to pick up the ball or anything like that. But it is, it's the head high bump is dead and you've got to be more careful when someone's got their head around the ball. Um, other than that, exactly what you were sort of saying on the weekend, there was some, you know, probably six or seven bumps that, you know, were just classic bumps and play on and everyone moved on and we didn't see another replay of it. Mm. Uh, it's the ones that get close to the head. And I think I'm happy with that. Is the the current, yeah, you might be right. Is the current formula the best way to go about it, though, in terms of the way that um, the match review officer judges it? It's, it's sort of this table where it's careless or intentional. It's severe impact, high impact, medium impact and low impact. And it's, and it's high and it's, or it's to the body. Like, is this the best way to sort of look at it? Because you can sort of make a case that Long's one, for instance, could be three different um, pathways on that, that flow chart. And it's just not quite doing, I think, what, what is intended because the, the consequences of getting a bump wrong, and I think David King summed it up so well, is that if, if you get concussed, it's, it's just not worth it. Like it, it. Immediately, you should be protecting the head at all costs for, for everything that happens at the head. And the fact that, um, you know, I know that it's, it might not have been intentional, but if that's the result from bumping, it needs to be... Um, intentional and not careless and, and I just don't know that the current system of sort of grading these things sort of intentional or careless and blah 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 is the right way to go about it Neil? Yeah you, you might be right in the majority of cases I think that the fact that the AFL has has decided to overrule those gradings and, and actually sent long to an independent tribunal is probably a sign that that, that is working they're, they, they're saying no we, we don't think it's actually um, right or fair to go through that, that old school grading system. We're going to send you to our tribunal to actually um, possibly more, most likely punish you even stronger than what these grading systems would, would have. So I think it's, it's, it, you can't just have a box ticking exercise for the more extreme cases. Um, so I think that's, that's probably a sign that, you know, that at the very high end of these, um, these bumps or any sort of incident that's actually really, really damaging you can get still sent straight to the tribunal. So I think that's actually a, a smart move. 
Jake, any thoughts? I think so. Uh, I think Neil summed it up pretty well. I, I've just always been, been a big believer, and not just with the bump, but with with anything. Is that I, I never understood why we why we go off the result and the, and what actually happens to the to the player that's been hit or you know whatever it might be. So, um, and you know, going back to what you were saying before about intentional, again. It shouldn't matter. If you hit someone in the head, it doesn't matter whether it's intentional or not. You've done it and you've got to be responsible for your actions. And that's why it all comes back to if you want to lay a bump, there's much more risk involved because your margin for error is far smaller than when you're putting a tackle on. Because when you put a bump on, you can do the exact same bump twice. But if the head of the, of the person you're bumping is in a slightly different spot, yep. then that's game over for you. But a tackle, you've physically and actually got to, you've got to you know, sling someone or however however you might be tackling them incorrectly, you've actually got to do that. And that's very different to a bump, which you can do identi two identical bumps. And it's just about where the head of that person is. And that's why I, I go back to what I said at the start. I, I think coaches are going to start not loving the idea of the bump because there is much more higher risk mm. uh, that a player can get suspended, especially if we want to tighten up on anything around the head. And we look to say, you know what, maybe it shouldn't be one or two weeks. Maybe it should be three or four weeks if you're hitting someone flush in the head. Yeah, uh, fair enough. And I think in terms of if it causes concussion, like it did with Sean Darcy, the Ben Long bump, I think that's that's even worse because we need to start protecting the head properly because we know that concussion is such a big issue. Um, yes, if you're listening to this podcast after Tuesday night, you'll know the result of those uh, tribunal hearings. So um, we'll move on anyway. Uh, Christian, we're, like I said before, we're a third of the way through the year now. So champion data must have on its books um, a pretty hefty list of who the, the league's biggest risers and sliders might be, those who have taken the next step in 2020 and those who have gone backwards. Um, can you sort of shed some light on who's really having a bit of a breakout year and, and who's really struggling with uh, the different uh, sort of, I guess, season that 2020 is throwing up? Yeah, so so far, we've yeah, exactly used uh, got a lot of different measures at Champion Data which we've covered over the podcast, rankings and ratings and uh, you can use average per game or where a player stands and, you know, whether they've gone from 100th best player to 80th. So I've sort of run my eye through all the different ones and, you know, plucked a few names out that are sort of stacked up on sort of on both measures. So start with someone we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Harry Perryman, who was leading the Coleman medal after round three, I believe it was. Um, so hasn't kicked a goal in the last two weeks. We've had 28 and 24 disposals in both games. So he's now he's the number one rated wingman in the competition using AFL player rating points. Uh, equal per game with Lockie Hunter, who's only had the two games. So, again, really stepped up. So the first two names I'm sort of going to mention are, you know, the natural improvers. I think Perryman's in his fourth year now, so he's expecting to, you know, keep getting better. Um, as I said, he's been elite for goals per game and, you know, getting a lot more of the ball in the last two weeks. He's got the third best kick rating at the Giants as well. So he's someone the Giants want to have, you know, uh, ball in hand in the forward half of the ground. Uh, another one that sort of stepped up in his third or fourth season, Jai Simpkin at North mm -hmm. Melbourne. Um, and just some of those stats he's top five in the comp for. Uh, some are a bit of left field, but I thought I'd throw them in there anyway. So he's in the top five in the comp for clearances, contested possessions, handball received, so inside and outside, um, you know, contested possessions plus running and receiving the handball, loose ball gets, assisted meter gains, smothers and balks, which are the other two that he's sort of high in. I thought, you know, they're so numbers, seven and eight, but... He does it all. He's got, he was as a uh, junior, sort of more of a mid forward type player, very classy in front of goal, mm. um, you know, looked good overhead for his size as well. In the absence of Zebel Cunnington in recent weeks, Jed, Jed Anderson on the weekend, who was another sort of clearance player for North Melbourne, he stepped up. And as I said, he's, you know, 
leading off Melbourne in the inside ball clearances and all that. But he's still got those little smooth moves of, you know, leading, leading the comp in balks and uh, doing the little defensive things like Smothers with seven of those as well across, uh, what is it, six games now. So He could be leading North um, both of those, at this point. Yeah, so both of those two players are sort of, you know, exactly where you'd think they would be sort of coming into their career. Uh, one of the guys we almost could have talked about last week with a slow burn, but Christian Petrarca. Uh, good to have Neil back this week while we talk about him. But um, yeah, just it's pretty obvious watching him playing in the midfield has done wonders for him. So he'd actually gone backwards across his career. So started off 41% of his time was in the midfield uh, four years ago, down to 37, down to 21 last year. So it almost it seemed like, all right, we'll resign to the fact he's going to be a forward. Um, again, went into bat for him last year. He was, he was still an elite forward for how he could win the ground ball at, um, in the forward 50, applied pressure. Melbourne didn't have the greatest ball movement inside 50, so he wasn't kicking, you know, he didn't kick 30 or 40 goals and become that dominant forward that everyone sort of looks for on the stat sheet. Uh, but yeah, 74% of time in the midfield this year. So finally getting, you know, solid time in the midfield and career highs in shortened games for disposals, contested possessions, uncontested possessions. Uh, high in scoreboard impact and Melbourne's number one tackler outside of the stoppages. So, again, just someone that is doing it all um, finally in about, yeah, fifth or sixth season. Well, I mean, I think that the Ds won two games this year and in both of those games, he's kicked uh, arguably the winning goal. Uh, so, it just goes to show how important he is when, when the Ds are actually firing and, and the game's on the line against the Blues. He kicked a, a great goal in the third quarter that steadied and ended up winning for Melbourne the game um, from outside 50 and just sort of poked it through with ease. And then against uh, the Suns on the weekend, um, 20 minutes into the last quarter, he, he poked through a goal that, that basically just sealed it for the Ds as well. So it just got, shows, goes to show that um, he's sort of popping up at these clutch moments now, which is something he might not have been doing two or three years ago. And You've watched him. He's always had the confidence. It just might not have actually worked for him. But you, you know he's the type of player that's got the confidence that he wants to have. He looks like the type of player that wants to shoulder those big moments, kick the winning goals after the siren. You know, yeah. In, yeah. I think that comes from leadership as well. I think the want to be the guy, to be the man, I think no one's ever doubted his talent, but the fact that he wants to, you know, drag his team across the line and be, be there in the moments that matter. Um, I think he's probably grown up a lot in the last sort of 18 months. And I think that that's, that's a massive win for Melbourne because he, everyone talked about him, you know, is he going to be the next to or Dustin Martin? And it looks like he's putting the pieces together now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Traded in player that we'll look at who wasn't even traded in. A, a free pickup, if you like. Jack Martin for Carlton. It's been, you know, outstanding. It's been, uh, yeah, exactly. Sort of a, a pleasure to watch. See Matt sort of rubbing his hands there as a Carlton supporter. But it's it's quite funny. I, I did do remember the commentary in the off-season of whether he is that good. Why is Carlton chasing him? You know, he hadn't been that good at Gold Coast or anything like that. He's the type of player that just, to me, he doesn't need a lot of the ball to have an impact. He hasn't had his most of the touches in a game this year is 18, so he hasn't reached 20. Um, but yeah, number one kick rating at Carlton, fourth in the comp for score involvement, so that's scoring chains that you've been involved in. Uh, seventh for total scoreboard impact, which is basically, again, some of your goals behind and score assists, so your direct impact on the scoreboard. Uh, and again, all, all for nothing for Carlton, just a, a free pickup in the preseason draft. Mm, I think I, I said it on. What, um, what were the Suns thinking? <laughs> well, they just wanted to play hardball and sort of say that clubs can't push us over and, and bully us anymore. But and, what did it net? Well, nothing. I mean, that's all bluff and bluster, isn't it? Well, that, I mean, that's no. Tony Cochran sort of in the way that he runs the ship up there. Um, you know, mm. it's all about sort of, I guess, protecting the brand and, and saying that we're not going to be a pushover. And that's fine. I mean, the Suns are but doing it's okay. It's hurt the brand, hasn't it? Well, I mean, maybe, but you know, look at what the Suns are doing no this year. They're going pretty well. 
Yeah. It hasn't hurt them more than the old uh, Jared Lyons situation. <laughs> well, that's, no, that's, that's for sure. Um, I think I said on them improving, but shocking decisions. I think I said on um, Twitter this week that Martin is is probably and you summed it up, Christian, because the stats back it up. He's one of the best sort of ten to fifteen touch players in the league because the impact he has with each one is is so profound, and he, he rarely misses a target, and he makes good decisions, and um, just makes Carlton a much better side um, in in terms of just. Last year, they just, you know, they'd break down across half forward going inside 50. And now they've got this sort of link player that, that can hit targets and, and think through critical decisions and, and do it really well. And, and he's a gun. Yep. Uh, and another when he comes to free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. Uh, sort of the last one that we'll sort of touch on probably is one of the big improvers. But again, only a slight improver if you look at his overall career. But Todd Goldstein, sort of wanted to mention him. I think he's reclaiming. Uh, the mantle as you know, arguably the number one ruckman, probably the most oh. important ruckman this year. So we've seen the return of Natanui, uh, what he can do. Grundy and Gorn are still producing what we know they can produce. Uh, but Goldstein basically pips them on, you know, not quite hit outs, but contested possessions, clearances, score involvements. Um, again, they're all within about besides Natanui, so fair way off. Gorn, Grundy, and Goldstein are all within about. 1.5 disposal average of each other. So very close there for how much ball they win. But again, um, it'll be interesting, you know, uh, all Australian at the end of the year, if both all four of those keep it up, sort of, you know, who, who would you guys vote for at the current time for all Australian Ruckman? Well, this is the interesting thing because everyone seems to just, if you ask the average person, the average footy fan, 99 out of 100, I feel, would have either Gordon or Grundy as their, as their number one. I don't think many would even be considering uh, Goldstein or, or Natanui. Um, but as you say, the, the numbers sort of say that those two might be a touch overrated compared to where, where the others are. But they're not, the gap isn't that big, if there is a gap at all. Oh, I mean, you've got to dethrone the Kings first before you can claim the crown. So, I mean, Gordon and Grundy have been doing it for a while. And I watched Gordon pretty closely on the weekend. And some of his tap-to-advantage work was really, really good. Like, it's, it's, you almost take for granted really good Ruckman, I think, sometimes. Because you just sort of assume that they're going to do their role. They're going to break even or, or win the, the contest. And I think that's what Gordon and Grundy do so well. Um, but, yeah, Goldie's had, had a great year. I think um, that Nui's sort of done pretty well. Riley O'Brien's not too bad. I, look, there, there are a few Ruckman. Mark Pittnett for Carlton has, has come in as Tim, a... Tim English has stepped Tim up. Tim English. Uh, if he could improve his, his Ruck craft a bit better. I mean, he'd work around his the grounds outstanding. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. uh, look, you know, it, it's, it's a good time to be a Ruckman because I think these shorter games are really helping them and they can sort of exert their influence um, a bit better in, in these shorter quarters. They don't have to run as much. They're sort of not galloping along the grass or, or what have you. Um, but there are a few candidates... Sorry. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of ruckmen are workhorses that prefer just grinding away and playing as that number one man. And I think the shorter games can allow them to do that. You see with Nick Nat, the Eagles have started just giving him the responsibility of just playing the game out by himself and not playing two ruckmen. Mm. Um, and I think most ruckmen enjoy that work and they just enjoy that one-on-one battle and trying to beat their man. Well, it's um, Oscar um, Allen's yeah, been the big, big beneficiary of West Coast. Mm, exactly. So he, he's your perfect majority forward and he can just pitch in a little bit in the ruck when he needs to but they've they've stopped playing Tom Hickey and Nathan Barty um because because Nick Nat's so good and the shortened games means he can actually run out the whole the whole match in the ruck so it doesn't really matter that he's a little bit lazy and a bit unfit <laughs> <laughs> trademark Riley O'Brien but yeah the, the gap's definitely closed I think I think um Grundy's been a slightly you know under his best this year and I think Gorn still had his very good games and his good moments but has probably had some quieter times as well Christian, what about some sliders uh, this year? Who's gone backwards? 
Yeah, so one of the top sliders on my list is probably, you know, right up there with the conversation we just had, Stefan Martin at Brisbane. So I think it was round one in the fourth quarter. He got injured quite late against Hawthorne. Um, so I may have missed the round two game after a couple of months. But yeah, Oscar McInerney ended up sort of taking that number one ruck role. And Martin's just still hasn't been able to sort of find a spot in the side. So uh, I'm sure when you pick the magnets out each week and look at Brisbane's team, you, you, you have him in the best 22. But at the moment, if he's not going to grind away, as, you, as you're saying, and get 80% of ruck time, um, his numbers are really being affected at the moment. So again, a little bit of an asterisk there because of you know injury-affected game, but still overall his numbers are down. Uh, another two he names... Can't, are he, he can't be effective anywhere but a number one ruck. I've, I've watched him closely as a Melbourne player and, and at, at the Lions as well. He's, he's really good as that number one ruckman, but I think the Lions have to make a call and, and bring in someone else because that, that, he can't play forward. But that's the problem. Whoever they give the number one ruck role to play so well, they deserve, you know, McInerney plays and he deserves a number one ruck role and they almost want to try to get Martin into the team. But you're right, they have to bite the bullet and sort of um, probably can only play one. Another two names, it's sort of, it's almost a positive for the team that these guys are probably a bit down. Jared Harbour and David Swallow. Yeah. Uh, again, Gold Coast, it's just so many improvers on the other side, on the other side of things with Ben King and all their debutants and things like that. But yeah, probably two guys that are probably a little bit of less reliance now on, on Harbour. Um, I like Connor Buterick, who plays Buterick, however you pronounce it, that plays, you know, across the half-back line. Uh, so yeah, sort of two two older players at Gold Coast have probably shown a little bit of slide in their numbers. I think that's um, a, I think that's a great sign. Like you, as you say, I mean, you know, Gold Coast even throughout you know go back to, to year one. I mean, the, the Suns have kind of always been very reliant on their on their more senior players. So to see those younger guys coming through, um, and we've spoken about Rankin, we've spoken about uh, Rao at length throughout the podcast this year, but it is great signs for the Suns. I think you're right, and and it's the same for like other clubs. Like you saw Nat Fife on the weekend was really lame for Frio. Um, played mostly in the forward line, kicked a couple of goals, but but rarely went into the middle. And the Dockers still managed to to come back and beat the Saints. And it was the same with with Carlton. Patrick Cripps copped a, a shoulder knock, and, and the Blues were still really really good without the influence that he would normally have. So I think those are the signs that you want to see. Is 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 like your Swallows and your Harbrows aren't having as as big as influence as they normally would because. It, the load's being shared, um, basically, and, and that can only really be good for, for the Suns. Correct. Uh, another name that's probably slid a bit this year, Elliot Yo for West Coast. So, again, you probably, the start of the year, would have said maybe his numbers get affected because Tim Kelly's coming in, coming in anyway. But they've lost Luke Shuey recently. But Yo's, yeah, just his overall effectiveness, his, his pressure, his tackles are slightly down. Almost 100, again, shorter games, but he's almost 150 fewer metres gained per game, which was another thing that Yo did well, was sort of got it out of the stoppages and got the ball mm. moving for West Coast mm. first. Something that's slightly down for him this year. Uh, another sort of superstar that's slightly down, Lockie Whitfield for GWS. Um, again, just he had sort of six score involvements per game last year, down to three and a half this year. Sort of looking, last year was almost a quarter of his touches were leading to a score. This year it's down 19%, which is sort of down in the bottom 10 for GWS. So again, getting a lot of the ball, 20 touches each game, but his, his overall effectiveness sort of, again, looking at AFL player ratings is one of the numbers. Um, he sort of dropped in that overall total just because he's not having the same impact um, with those 20-odd touches. And probably a final one, which is a bit of a surprise, and again, doesn't have to always be a negative, Brad Hill. Uh, been a good pickup for St Kilda, but his personal numbers for himself have gone down a fair way. Uh, one of the big ones is he was 34th in the comp last year for effective metres gained per game, down to 105th at the moment. 
Um, and yeah, I think he's been down the last two weeks even further. So again, probably just been a good pickup, and you probably still applaud St Kilda for taking him, but it's been just a change to his game and his personal numbers where uh, he's probably not needed to sort of carry the ball as much as he was at Frio and getting those 400, 500 metre games game. Just, just on, games like he was. On, the, on, on the Saints, um, you sort of think that Hill would be that sort of the marquee pickup and, and one of the best pickups over the off-season, but you just have to look sort of a bit further down the ground. Like Dan Butler's been outrageously good for the Saints and he really Same suits the... Has, yeah, and he just suits the sort of game style that St Kilda wants to play, that sort of fast, get the ball in there, and, and if there's someone on the ground buzzing around ready for the ball to hit the, hit the deck, he's there. And he's, he's relishing, I think, playing under someone like Brett Ratton who encourages that sort of game style. A couple of other, um, my own personal um, uh, tip of the hat too in terms of improvements. I, I, we talked about some of the sort of, third and fourth and fifth year players that have improved and you kind of expect that. But I, I really love the late career bloomers and I've really liked Levi Casbolt and Charlie Dixon this year. They've most, mostly, you know, rucked forwards and they're quite maligned through their whole careers and they're getting mm. towards the twilight of their career, but they've really stood up this year. Um, and yeah, I really, I really love seeing the, the older guys like Chris, you mentioned David Zaharakis at the top of the show as well. Um, but that was for one game that he's improved. I, I reckon Levi and, and Charlie have both had fantastic seasons and, yeah, not not many people would have expected them to do so well so late in their career. Charlie One, Dixon's an absolute beast. I mean, when he is on and he's he's marking and he you know he's he's a very hard man to yeah. stop. He he reminds me a lot of a lot of Tom Hawkins, the way that he's just such a big body and he's just you know when he is grabbing the ball well, he does he gets that confidence and you just look like you can't stop him. Yeah. I think obviously he's been in out of the side. He's had his injury problems and he's had um, form troubles over the last few years but gee if he can if he can continue to put together a really strong season and lead that forward line in this unusual crazy crazy year I, I wouldn't be ruling out port I mean I know obviously you know you look at what they've done already this year but they're, they're a big chance for power and a lot of it does rest on him well one that's gone the other way for me um Stephen Keneally I know he's had an ankle issue but you know, averaging 27, 28 touches last year down to 20 and, and was averaging a goal a game last year and is now averaging a goal every three games. Like, I know he's had ankle issues, but um, to sort of see him fall away as he's sort of done with the captaincy at the Giants is a, is a bit disappointing as well. And, and hopefully he can get back to his they've best. Almost, uh, I agree. Sorry, Matt, to, um, to jump in. But they've almost got too much talent. Like, they've, <laughs> they've got him, himself and Whitfield and Taranto coming back in this week and young Tom Green. It's almost like they've got eight or nine very, very good, highly talented players that they're trying to squeeze into six or seven positions. And there's mm-hmm. like a couple, you know, one might not get a game this week or one might get put in the forward pocket or it's almost, yeah, they've got an embarrassment of riches and I think it's impacting their individual players a little bit. For sure. Uh, any other sliders, uh, Christian, before we move on? Uh, just a few of the other names on the list there. Bross for St Kilda probably um, hasn't had any big games this year. One of the other ones that sort of caught my eye, Ricky Henderson, who was sort of praising mm. last year at 30, 31. So again, but that's just basically looking at last year. So maybe, you know, not a, not a year out of the box for him, but I think he was so good last year. He sort of come back to the pack this year that his number comes out. Another one for Hawthorne, Ben McAvoy. Again, just he looks good in patches of games, but they just... Um, he's been exploited a little bit as, you know, the key defender and he sort of had to go forward in Patton's absence the other night and the ball just, you know, never got down there and uh, pinch hitting in the ruck. So probably, yeah, you, you could make a case for, yeah, position changes for McAvoy haven't helped. 
Sure. Uh, let's move on. A um, few more uh, issues with the state of the game have sort of arisen over, over the weekend. I'm, I'm not too sure who sort of brought it up, but maybe it's coming from the cheap seats, but unattractive footies back on the agenda. We had one, one stinker of a game, really, uh, and it was Richmond and Sydney at the Gabba when it was absolutely pouring down, I think seven goals between them, and at times it was just going back and forth between the, the wing and Richmond's forward line, the wing and Richmond's forward line for a long time. Um, and it was sort of the, the narrative sort of got picked up throughout the way as, as footy still in trouble. But I don't know, guys, I sort of looked across the, the weekend of footy and, and Neil, I think you agree with me, but for the most part, it was actually quite good and, and, and very easy to watch. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, you mentioned that unattractive uh, footy is back on the agenda. I don't think it's left the agenda since round one. Yeah. Um, it seems to be the year that we're, talking about really, <laughs> that we're really putting the game under the microscope. And I think a lot of it's warranted. I mean, goals are down, end-to-end footy is down. Um, but I think this weekend was actually probably the, the round where, you know, footy actually, for the most part, was quite attractive. As you mentioned, Richmond, Sydney wasn't great. I think Collingwood versus... Um, Hawthorne wasn't great to watch, um, mainly due to the structure and, and the lack of dare for Hawthorne. But um, I think for the most part, this weekend, was the, the weekend that's just gone, was, was actually quite attractive. And it made me wonder, is it the players that are now getting continuity with training after so, you know, such a disrupted pre-season? Are they starting to, to gel a bit better um, amongst themselves? Is it just a big, massive rust-shedding exercise of the first three or four weeks, which was played in such unusual circumstances that maybe they're starting to, the skills are sharpening up and, and maybe footy's in a better spot than, than what we first worried about. That's the thing. There's so many differences with this year from, you know, hubs to shorten to, to different times. Everything's changed this year. So I think you've got to cut the players a little bit of slack because, um, and, you know, we, again, it was, it was round one, round two, and we were, sorry, round two and three, and we were criticising the, the play. And it's like, yeah, it might normally be around 10 or 11, but hang on, it really is the start of the season. So, yeah, I, I think we have to cut a little bit of slack. And the problem is, um, you know, most people just most people will see the games that are on free-to-air. And, and that that game, that that uh, Richmond... Um, who did that play? Sydney game, yeah. The, the horror game that you're talking about was, um, was on free-to-air. And that's the problem. I mean, you, it's on free-to-air. People see it and people generalise and say the whole game's cooked. I mean, there were some pretty good games this week. Some good finishes, some great footy being played throughout. Unfortunately, not every game's on free-to-air. I think that's one of the issues is that um, Seven, obviously, the, the host broadcaster on free-to-air, obviously wants its ratings to be quite high and, and they'll often go after the, the big drawing Melbourne clubs. I mean, when, when they were at their peak, Hawthorne featured quite a lot on Friday nights or, or Sunday afternoons. Collingwood in recent years have, have been a lot uh, on TV a lot. Um, Richmond, obviously. So, I mean, when you get Richmond, who's traditionally been a good team and obviously the reigning premier, and then you put them up against a side like Sydney, um, who, really, you know, in the middle of a rebuild and have got players missing on all parts of the ground. Heaney went down, um, you know, no buddy the whole lot, you're going to get some Dow footy. And, and I don't blame John Longmire for, um, I mean, what he said after uh, in his press conference on, on Monday about how he was blamed for, for uh, the, the, the poor sort of look that, that that game had. I think that's completely right that he refuted that and sort of said, put it back on Dimmer. Because look, at the end of the day, the conditions weren't great. It was one game. And, and as you mentioned, Jake, Gold Coast and Melbourne was, was really good. Um, Secure to Fremantle end up being a really good contest. And, and Carlton and the Dogs was, was free-flowing and open. So, 
look, free to air, maybe it's up to Channel 7 to say we want better contests instead of just one big drawing club who plays good footy. The problem is, how do you know that game's going to be crap? Like, that game could have been the game of the year. So that's why the broadcasts will always go for the big big clubs. And you, if, if you schedule a Gold Coast Freo game and it turns out to be a crap game, you're thinking, well, what are they doing? So you've got to always go with the big clubs because the big clubs have the, the bigger fan bases and more people are going to want to watch it. I, 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 think that's, I think that's a no-brainer. But I, I just don't... I mean, you're going to have bad games. You know, look at the grand final last year. It was terrible. So, you know, you're going to have bad games. It's just you can't predict that. So well, let's look at the next... It was just unfortunate. Yeah, it was just unfortunate. I don't think the game is... The game obviously got its issues, but I don't think you can look at that one game and say, oh, the whole thing is terrible because there, oh. were some, there was a lot of good footy play. Here the next two weeks. Thursday night, round seven. Geelong Collingwood, what a surprise. Friday night, Essendon Western Bulldogs, what a surprise. Thursday night, the week after. Finally, here we go. The Suns having their first um, primetime match Thursday night against the Bulldogs. And then Friday night, up oh, back I to... I think that is a... Sorry, man. I, I yet to confirm, but I don't think it is a primetime match. It's, it's going to be on Fox, I believe. Oh. Is that right? So oh, Channel yeah, 7 won't even carry. It broke my heart to see that as well. Hopefully... Breaking news. <laughs> hopefully I've seen that wrong, but um, it doesn't look like that's a Channel 7 well, game at the moment. That's okay oh, because... Shame. Regular programming will resume on the Friday night, the night after, the Giants versus Richmond. So, I mean, look, they're getting the same clubs on these primetime slots. And I, I get it, uh, money talks and, and all that, but um, they could honestly be going for closer games. Uh, and they can because, um, Neil, you've got, you might have an opinion on this. They can because the schedule is only being uh, uh, announced sort of two weeks out each time. Yeah, well, that's true. But it's still a little bit of guesswork, isn't it? Like, you, I mean, as Jake said, Sydney versus Richmond could have been a cracking contest. I mean, if it was a... A, a beautiful day on the MCG and Sydney was at full strength. I mean, they could have actually played an entertaining game. So I get your point that it would be smarter for the broadcasters to maybe try and instead of just going for the standard big name Melbourne, you know, just the big name clubs. But I think that there's still a lot of guesswork and, and yeah. it, it's just impossible. Your- Even if it's one or two weeks out, it's still impossible to predict what's going to happen. Look at my tipping. <laughs> if you put the big clubs in like they've done, you, it's an automatic draw card. If the game is close and exciting at the end, well, that's a bonus. But if you're going the other way and banking on having two teams that aren't, that aren't have, don't have that many fans tuning in to watch um, and the game's no good, then you don't have anything then. So I don't think the AFL's done anything wrong. And, and it's not just the AFL. It's every sport. Every sport's going to put its marquee marquee teams on in the in the marquee slots. I mean, that's just the way it is. You'd be crazy not to. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, unattractive footy will probably be on the agenda next week. So tune in then and we can talk more about it. Um, <laughs> moving on, guys. I just want to sort of whip through really quickly because we are a third of the way through the year. I'm going to go through uh, each club and I want a one-word answer from you all. Um, I might go with... Uh, we'll go in an order. We'll go Neil, Jake, and then Christian. Uh, and I just want you to say contender or pretender to each of the clubs following. What, what's, so, what, what are they contending for? The flag or yeah. finals? Are they, are, they, are they a flag contender? Or are, are they, they a flag contender or yeah. are they contending? So, sure. or, or, you know, contender, pretender or completely out of it? No, let's, let's keep it simple. Contender or pretender? All right. Uh, the Crows. <laughs> we all know the answer to that. <laughs> they're <laughs> pretending. Well, they're contenders, all right. <laughs> for the contenders spoon. for the spoon. <laughs> um, Brisbane. Yeah, they're contenders. Carlton. Contenders, absolutely. Pretenders if we're looking at it as a flag. Pretenders. Pretenders. Collingwood? 
Contenders. 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 The Bombers. <laughs> pretenders. Contend- contenders. <laughs> pretenders. Close to contenders. <laughs> I'd just like to point out quickly that the Bombers are one game behind still and uh, are still well up there on the ladder. Mm, um, that surprised me. Fremantle. Pretenders. 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 The Cats. <laughs> contenders, somehow. Are they contenders? Always contenders. Suns. Yeah, waiting for them to drop off a cliff. Um, uh, pretenders. Yeah. I think the Suns are classic pretenders. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> classic <Yeah>. pretenders. <laughs> they're, they're the great story, but we really know they're not going to be there when it matters. So. Yeah, they won't make the eight. Uh, the Giants. I'm, I've got my doubts about them. Um, I think I saw earlier today that they were second favourite for the flag still. Um, I'll, I'll list them as contenders, but I've got huge doubts. Yeah, I think they're still going to be contenders. Uh, what about Hawthorne? I'm really interested in your thoughts Christian, on Hawthorne. did we get you for the Giants? Oh, yeah, sorry. Jump in. Giants are con- yeah, Giants are still contenders for me. The Hawks? Pretenders. Ooh. They can't win the flag. Neil? I'm going to, oh, say, I'm going to say contenders for Hawthorne, although I don't think they're going to win the flag, but I, I, I wouldn't be writing them off just yet. No, pretenders for me. See, that's very interesting, Jake. You can't write off Clarko, can you? Yeah, I was going to say, Clarko's genius, Jake. <laughs> never doubt uh, Clarko. The Ds. Uh, as much as it pains me to say they're pretenders this year. Yeah, they've been pretenders for... Uh, as long as I've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's whip through these really quickly. Port Adelaide? Contenders. Yeah, contenders. Richmond? Contenders. 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 Saints? Have the Saints shown enough? No. Pretenders. Contenders. Pretenders. Ooh. Sydney Swans? Poor old Swannies. They're, they're absolutely they're, pretenders. They're beyond <laughs> pretenders. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last two. The Eagles? Contenders. Yeah, contenders. Currently pre- pretenders. Currently. But about to head back home. We're about so to head back home. Change my, my mind quite quickly. And last but not least, the dogs. No, pretending. Pretending. Yeah, I think the dogs are kind of like um, Gold Coast. They're, they're classic pretenders. They've teased and they've shown what they can do, but I just don't trust them enough. They're not consistent pretenders. Fair pretenders. enough. Fair enough. All right, uh, let's move on to our, our quickly becoming one of our favourite se- uh, segments is justified hype or hyperbole, where I'll say a statement and uh, you will sort of debate whether or not the hype is justified or we're just talking in hyperbole. And I'll kick it off, Jake. I'll throw this one to you. Isaac Rankin should have gone number one overall in the 2018 draft. Uh, look, we've seen him for one game and it's a shortened <laughs> game. So I'm going to say that is hyperbole. But he is, but he does look good. <laughs> What a, yeah. what a draft, though. I mean, that, that top 10, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just read out the names quickly. Walsh, Lukosius, Rankin, King, Rosie, King, Bailey Smith, Taron Thomas, Chase Jones, Nick Blakey. We that, might look back uh, on this as one of the all-time great top 10s. Yeah. Or even it's looming as possibly the best top 10 because any of those top 10, probably apart from Chase Jones, look like they could, be, they could end up being you know, superstars of the competition. So... Yeah, I was really excited by Rankin's debut, as, as everyone was. But let's, let's hold fire on him. He's played one game. Christian? 
Yeah, hyperbole. Always go the midfielder first. If um, our draft which expert... Though? Uh, Christian, which, which midfielder would you take at number one of that draft? I still have... Uh, probably Walsh. Um, again, looking at needs for Carlton as well, they didn't have that the crying out for someone next to Cripps and Cripps isn't, you know, a huge outside, you know, he's, he's a good contested ball beast. So, but again, usually a lot of drafts are gone by and when it's when it comes that close, you, you sort of almost, you get jealous of the second team because for me, I'm always <laughs> going to take the midfielder first, but there's always that second or third player like that, that's got the X factor, which Rankin has that tend to slip. But number one pick always goes safe midfielder for me. Yeah. Um, if our draft expert, Chris Dory was on the podcast, he'd be saying it's justified hype because I think he had Rankin outright number one in the entire year and said oh, that it would... No, I think he had Lukosius one and then... Oh, was it? Um, and then yeah, he was, Rankin... He was big on Lukosius. He was big on Lukosius. And Lukosius yeah. has not done anything wrong as a second-year skinny key position player, but there's probably been four or five players that have gone past him um, in terms of what they've produced so far. Mm. Uh, Neil, next question for you, or next statement rather. Hawthorne has to rebuild. Justified hype. Mm. I think they've got a dearth of, of young talent. Um, you know, Clarko's done so well in, in topping up through trades and free agency, but yeah... Even, the, if, even if they write the ship somewhat, I think they need to get some talent in that team. Jake? I think, yeah, I mean, what do you mean by rebuild? I mean, they obviously, yeah, they obviously need to, to you know, fix a few little holes here and there. But, you know, I don't think it's... I said before that I think they're somewhat of a contender. Now, I don't think they're going to win the flag, but I think that they're... I don't think we should write them off just yet. I think there's still enough talent in that team. But, yeah, certainly over the next 18, 24 months, there's going to be a lot of... That side will, will look a little bit different. Christian? Yeah, so, I mean, they were the second oldest and second most experienced team on the weekend. And, yeah, that surprised me. I didn't think they were at the stage where they should be that high. I think, yeah, should be playing a few more youngsters coming through to... Sort of they don't really have many, though. No, they don't. Christian, and they, they don't hit the draft. I'd, I'd just yeah. like to see them hit the draft yeah. and, and really invest in some, some two top years talent. In a row. Yeah. Uh, next question or next statement. Christian, I might start with you this one. The Bombers will win their first final since 2004 this season. <laughs> yeah, I, had, I had them as pretenders, as, as the next in the line for contenders. I mean, they've, they've had four, four and one. Don't um, muddy the waters, please. Well, yeah, I, I can't help. I can't help but do it. But the wins haven't they haven't been convincing yet. Where the sort of you know the Collingwood win was a very very good win, but for twenty minutes there they couldn't get their hands on the ball. Um, mm. And as we spoke about last week, seven to ten goals from stoppages. Um, so again, all you can do is win. You know, keep getting the four points, which they've done. Um, and as I said, they're probably one a week, one or two weeks away from changing my mind. But at the moment, I'd still have them probably as a no for me. But as I said, yeah. They're only one or two more good performances away from changing my mind for good. We're three months away from finals. How can we be saying if they're going to win it, win one or not? Jake, you're ruining I the segment for me, please. What's going on? I think they'll win one. The point, the point, there's another point, I think I've mentioned it before, is they've still got a game in hand as well. Um, we, don't, we still don't know when they're going to try and catch that game up, Neil, do we? I mean, no, you, you sort of... No. Well, the D's and the Bombers are both playing on Sunday, I think, in round eight, off the top of my head. So maybe they're gearing them up to get on a, on a similar schedule. But um, get on a get on a Wednesday, midweek Wednesday game. Well, well both the no reason used why to playing on shortened breaks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they've done Anzac Day and Anzac Eve uh, respectively, so surely they could they could squeeze it in. But you'd assume probably the Bombers would win that against the D's, and if if 
that had happened uh, when it was supposed to win, <laughs> when it was supposed to happen, they'd be outright second on the ladder and looking really, really good. So I reckon they will win a final this year. Yeah, um, speaking of finals, Neil, uh, you said they were pretenders, but Carlton will play finals this year. Is that justified? Oh, that's tricky, isn't it? There are so many... Uh, I think Carlton will play finals. How's that? I think they finals might just squeak. or a final? <laughs> that a, they will play in the final series. <laughs> I think you can only judge on what you've seen, and, and I like what they what they're doing. They look like they've they've solved a lot of issues. I don't think they're going to be top four, but they I think they might be in the next rung from sixth to tenth. I reckon they might squeeze in. Yeah, I think the Blues have solved a lot of issues, but I still think there's quite a few issues that do exist. So I'll say no, they will not play finals this year. Christian? Yeah, probably a no for me, but it's, it looks like there's going to be a glut of teams that are just going to be on the same amount of points yeah. from about mm. 8th to 12th or 7th to 11th this year. So I'll say that we'll, Carlton will probably have the same amount of points as whoever gets in the finals, but might, might miss out on percentage. But I think there's going to be yeah, four or five teams come final round or you know, a game away from finals. Well, this yeah. is the, t- the thing. We've seen it so close in the last few years. And with a shortened season, with less games, that gap is going to be, theoretically, it should be less, that gap. So there's going to be nothing. You throw a blanket over six to eight teams that are going to finish from sort of sixth to, you know, 14th. You know, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of sides finishing in the middle of the ladder very close together. Yeah, I just don't think the Blues are consistent enough week to week to play finals at this point. But I think you both make good points in that <laughs> the they will one, probably be... The one... <laughs> they'll be thereabouts. The one non-Carlton supporter in this podcast says they're going to play finals. <laughs> and the three Carlton supporters all say no. How interesting. You might put the Melbourne mod on us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, next statement. Let's whip, whip through these last couple. Port should be the flag favourite. Uh, that is hyperbole. No, I don't okay. think so. Uh, I reckon a couple of weeks. Ago, I reckon a couple of weeks ago, maybe, but probably not now. Oh, it's it's tough. I mean, I still think I still think West Coast is going to be. I know that they've been pretty average on the road, but going back home, they came into the year as just about the you know with Tim Kelly coming in. We thought, gee, how good is this side going to be? I know we spoke about Elliot Yo maybe going a little bit backwards and. Um, you know, Shuey, Shuey's troubles and stuff. But I still think when it gets to the pointy end, I still think they're going to be right there in the team to beat. Um, also, Richmond. I mean, you'd be crazy to write off Richmond. Everyone did it last year. Look what happened in the second half of the year. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think the, the Eagles, three and three after a uh, pretty, pretty average start to the year, really. And Christian sort of said it like, Shuey's injured, but will come back. Yo's been down. Like a whole raft of Eagles have been under Kelly have been underperforming, um, but they're too good to continue to underperform. And now they're going to be playing maybe five, six games or so at home. Or, you know, even if they're not the home well, side, but they'll be playing on, on familiar grounds. And they'll have know, the grand final at home as well. So they could. Be, so <laughs> I think I think you're right, Jake. I think I think the Eagles, um, even though you know they're mid pack at the moment, I think they're eleventh on the ladder. It's kind of crazy to be saying it, yeah. but. Um, yeah, they're, they're just so about they, my... So they wouldn't be favourite with the bookies because they're too far off. But I, I think, yeah, they're much better than the 11th best side in the comp, that's for sure. Agree. Uh, Neil, anyone disagree? Uh, I think, yeah, saying that Port of the flag favourites is hyperbole. My, my favourites would be Collingwood. Um, I think they've got the stingiest defence in the competition. Um, I think defences win 
premierships more often than not. And I think they, if they've got a deep midfield, I've uh, got the pies. Interesting. Christian? Yeah, hyperbole for me on Port. And I'd have Geelong as my favourite. Almost what Neil just said. They've got offence and defence covered. Um, so, yeah, should be favourites in my mind. Mm, interesting. A uh, bit of a shame for the, the old cats who finally look like they were going to play a host of games, a raft of games at home at GMHBA Stadium and now they've been <laughs> kicked out of the state. So, <laughs> a bit unlucky for, for them. Uh, last one uh, before we try and start to wrap things up. But the call from home commentary is working well, Jake. Is it? Well, I've got to let Christian answer this one first. Uh, <laughs> he was a little bit disappointed with some of it. But no, it's, it's, look, no, it's not working. Because it's um, it doesn't sound great, and, and obviously there's there's things that he, that they can't see, which is difficult. Um, but what do you do? Yeah, that's, sorry that's for context. Like a lot of the the callers are based in Melbourne, and they're watching TV screens and calling it off TV screens for those that don't know at home. Um, and you can kind of tell, I think, is is what we're trying to say, Jake. Yeah, it can be a bit frustrating. I think you, you do notice it from time to time. I don't think it's catastrophic, but yeah, I mean, it's it is noticeable if you're watching a lot of games. I just don't know what you can what you can do about it. I mean, I get that there are co- other commentators in um, in other cities that could do it, but you know, does the average football fan know these people or want to hear them? I don't know. I I, I don't think it's disastrous, but it's not ideal. Nothing about 2020 is ideal, though. Christian. Let it rip. <laughs> no, it's just, yeah, it was more noticeable this weekend where the commentators are trying to uh, verbally, you know, audibly try to figure out what's going on in front of them um, because they're watching the same thing we are on the, on the TV screen and not getting the, the, you know, the benefit of what's behind the player or ahead of the player. And there was a few times, yeah, um, player would take a mark and stop and the commentator would be ready to call. And then, oh, I don't know why he stopped there. He must, must have nothing ahead. And it's like, we just need one person on air that can sort of, you know, just tell us what's ahead of the play. That's always, that's always what's set apart watching footy at home is you've got, you know, three or four different eyes telling you what's happening on the field. Now you've got three or four different eyes telling you what's happening on your screen and, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Neil, um, you sort of touched on it in our pre-podcast meeting, but maybe some better camera angles might be, be better. Yeah, I mean... We we all um, see the same thing on the screens, but there there is um, there are other angles that you know, club officials and uh, and whatnot can actually like the down the ground vision and, and the extreme wide angle vision as well. Um, I think really trying to incorporate that into some of the commentary might be beneficial because you know it's it's really difficult to for everyone involved. Every, you know, there's so many elements of this season which is you know proven to be so so difficult. And I think comment, commentary is one. Um, you know, I could go on a long rant about the state of commentary in, in footy, but it, it, they're, they're doing it tough at the moment. And uh, yeah, they're doing what they can, but they're, they're just sort of trying to commentate with one hand behind their back, so to speak. Yes, well, uh, we're probably running out of time at the moment, so we might wrap things up. Uh, guys, thanks again for, for joining me. Uh, another episode in the books. Um, make sure you get your, your tips in on the uh, Footy Tips app. Um, I know that my tips aren't doing too well. Uh, Neil, you mentioned yours weren't doing too well. Jake, are you winning out competition-wide? tipping again this year or you, you haven't mentioned it for a while so i assume you're not no well i haven't actually checked this week but i don't think i i don't think i did too well uh this round i think no, i no, tried no, to didn't a mention couple it. upsets no so i'll let i'll mention it when i'm back on back on top right uh <laughs> we'll uh we'll speak to you uh, all in the next one thanks for listening to the esbn footy tips afl podcast